Hello and welcome back. I'm Jojo Fraser. It's time for a Mojo Injection episode 59. We're doing it guys. We are here with an open mind. We're staying curious. We're judging less. We're living and loving more and we're getting deep. He's 17. Do you remember that song? Deep baby. Deep deep down. Nothing's off limits this week and I am buzzing because I know if you listen to this you're going to get something. Something is going to move you because when we're honest, that's when the magic happens, when we start to push the ego aside. still there, but when we start to push it aside a bit, that's when, that's living to me. Um, That's happiness right there. And I am so thrilled. So before I introduce my amazing guest, I'm just going to plug an event that I'm speaking at next Sunday, the 4th of August in the Spiegel Tent, Fringe by the Sea, North Berwick. I am really excited. I my intention is be it a really cram packed full tent or a handful of people there. I will be bringing 110% to that with the desire to inspire, motivate, leave you with an impact. That's been arranged through Speaker Buzz. So it's all about inspiration with impact, and I am delighted to be getting a spot. 1 p.m. till 2 p.m. next Sunday, the 4th of August. Would love to see you there. Happy to sign books happy to you know even if you've got a little request i'll throw it in this week hit me up guys and um, any topic requests um I've pretty much written what i'm going to say but i never use notes i just bring it i feel it and um always always with the intention to help so i'm excited come along if you're able um, right, let's get Elliot on. Elliot Reeves is my guest this week. He's amazing. He's a broadcaster, a speaker, a highly decorated broadcaster at that. <laughs> His shows are amazing. He gets deep. We get deep today. It's amazing to have him on the other side of the chair. He's interviewed some of his heroes from Dan Pena, the $50 billion man, to Peter Sage, enlightened entrepreneur. He just is loving what he's doing. He's loving these deep transformational conversations and I enjoy chatting to Elliot so much. I love being on his podcast. You can hook him up at the elliotreeves.co.uk and find out more about him. I'll tag all his links and all the social posts. But yeah, I love being on his podcast and I loved having him on mine. We chat. We chat a lot. You're going to love it, guys. Are you in? I'm all in. Are you coming? Are you going to dive in with us? All in. Let's do it. Elliot, welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jojo. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Oh, I was super excited. I was really excited, and I absolutely loved coming in your podcast. I loved the questions you asked. I loved the coffee. (laughs) And part of me was like a bit embarrassed because it was like so professional. I was like, oh, I really want you on mine, but please don't expect the same standards. (laughs) (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. Got to do your own thing, haven't you? Of course. Run with it. Yeah, I mean, I was saying this to you before. I mean, you know, I'm not somebody who judges what other people do, and ultimately, um, a lot of the time, we think that we have to up our game because other people are doing a certain thing. When in reality, if what you're doing works for you, then just keep doing it. There should be no expectation in that regard. Um, so yeah, but I think this is this is awesome. This is absolutely this is more than more than enough. <laughs> the chat. I mean, at the end of the day, a, a good friend called me uh, when I launched the podcast a year ago, and he said I've listened to it, and he said, and he does all this stuff, and he spends thousands on courses in America and all of that, and he said. 
the sound, you know, it's a bit quiet in parts because it was when we when we listened back. But he said the content was so good. Yeah, he was like it almost you got away with it because the the conversation was so raw, so mm-hmm. honest, so deep. And I know you love a deep conversation, so I thought this is going to be brilliant. <laughs> um, I do, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and just share, share, share away. So sure thing. I, I think sometimes you just have to. Follow your passion. There's always ways to improve things, though, isn't there? I mean, mm-hmm. for you, you've come so far and you've been on such a journey. What would you say your key takeaways from that so far would be? That's a great question. Um, I mean, you know, to my prior self. So when I started out doing, um, you know, call it podcasting or, or broadcasting or whatever you want to term it, I had zero background whatsoever in doing any of it. I literally started from ground zero. And in spite of my efforts to try and get people to give me some, you know, semblance of assistance, it was basically like, everyone's busy, you need to just figure this out for yourself. And that's that's a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> so, you know, by watching lots of YouTube videos and seeing what the, the best people are doing and just, yeah, just teaching myself and figuring it out. Uh, you just kind of improve and improve and improve. And, and and I think that's a big part of it, is critiquing where you are in the process and always aspiring to improve on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I mean, the, you know, we did that uh, talk recently at the, um, what was the bra- blogger event. Uh, it's now the Creative Events Company, yeah. which is great <laughs> fun. Um, one of my key lessons that I shared at that event was, the, you know, just simply getting started, taking action. Yeah. And that was really the biggest thing. I mean, I was by no means ready when I started. Um, I started, it was actually in, my dad has a serviced office in George Street. And I sat down there with a guy who I went to school with who had been very successful in business despite being quite poor in school. Uh, and my, at the time, co-host, uh, Craig Alley. And, you know, no professional lighting whatsoever. One recording device, an iPhone and a camcorder. And, you know, it just started from there. And looking back at that now, I'm like, Jesus, really, it's not the standard that I expect of myself now, but I had to do that to get to where I am. So that's really the biggest, biggest lesson, I would say. That's the thing, because it's experience that <laughs> yeah. gets us there, isn't it? It's yes. just throwing yourself in and going for it and then learning and yeah, and just and, and picking yourself back up. So, you know, you could look back or someone would say, why did you say that? Or why did you do that? Yeah. And I'm like... <laughs> it's it's learning and I, I think what came across to me and, and certainly when I got to know you through your podcast and, and come in and see you in action was that your mindset you're clearly into you know developing mm-hmm. and just being you know in that space which I was really inspired by so Thank talk you. to us about where this came from oh jeez uh, I mean you, you know sometimes in life you have to hit low points in order to get to higher points mm-hmm. And really, I mean, if we go back to the very beginning, I was very privileged to have a good education. I went to private school, Stuart's Melville and then Fetty's College. And I think through that, and, you know, a a lot of it's probably due to parental influence as well. My mum and dad, my dad certainly had been very successful in business. My mother laterally has been very successful running her own bed and breakfast guest house. She's won multiple, multiple awards and all sorts of stuff. Incredible. So having that 
the bar set very high early on, it means that you kind of hold yourself to a kind of, you know, a high standard in terms of what you want to get out of life. And so I left school in 2001 with no idea what I wanted to do. I ended up going to university and chopping and changing course for a number of years before I eventually graduated. And when I did, there was no opportunity for me to pursue the career that I had studied. Okay. So, you know, I left university in about 2008, 2009, biggest financial meltdown of all time. Uh, My dad, with his sort of connections, if you want to call them that, did his best to try and help get me a a role in uh, a company, which fell on its face. Mm -hmm. And so I had to do, really, it was like the low-hanging fruit. What what job can I get? And it was working in financial services. It was at the time for Royal Bank of Scotland, and it was a telephone banking role. So I was working from 5 in the evening till 11 at night and 12 hours on a Saturday. And look, it's it's like a needs-must situation. By no means am I saying that's like a terrible job or whatever, but it's not, and how do I say this without sounding kind of... I don't want to sound, I'm very cognizant of the things that I say because I feel as though throughout life I've kind of been policed a little bit on the things that I say because I'm quite an extreme character. No, but I, I, you just, <laughs> I, I think speaking your truth. Yeah. You know, as long as you're not being an asshole. Well, but... I, don't, I don't feel that I'm harming anyone when yeah. I say stuff, but I think just it's perhaps a sort of humility thing. I don't think it's like a trying to put myself down thing, but um, it's just you know, sort of a self-regulation thing. But realistically, at that stage in my life, I was like, I believe that I should be doing things far greater than this. Mm -hmm. The system, my parents, my education has all told me or reinforced in me that I should be achieving great things in life. And I felt as though I wasn't, you know, and that was just, it's perception versus reality. My reality wasn't what I had expected it would be at that stage of my life. Yeah, and you weren't the best version of yourself. Yes, totally. And so, I mean, the RBS thing, I did that for like six months. And then I actually uh, wasn't kept on. They didn't renew my contract at the time because I'd had absences resulting from uh, like toothache and stuff. Just a a series of unfortunate events. Mm. So... Uh, a colleague of mine had moved to Scottish Widows to do a similar role, and so I followed him into that, which was working in a retention department. Oh, I worked there. Oh, really? So, I mean, just to give anyone a, a snapshot as to how that works, in essence, and you can sugarcoat it as much as you want, but this is the, the bare bones of it, was somebody phones up to take their money out of their investment, an OIC or an ISA, uh, you know, it's a five to ten year investment, they want to take their money out to buy a new kitchen, and my role, in effect, is to try and stop them or uh, encourage them to take less, mm-hmm. you know? And ultimately, you can you can dress it up as you're treating the customer fairly and you're trying to help them and whatever it is. Ultimately, there is a corporate incentive to retain the, the client's money because, you know, that's how you that's your business model. That, yeah. that makes you money. Keeping other people's money. Yeah, that's it. Which probably went against your values. <laughs> it's like, no, I genuinely, you know, this is this is speaking from the heart. There was people that would phone up and they would literally be dying of terminal cancer Mm. or they have, you know, they're speaking on behalf, they've given authority to speak, you know, as say a parent who's like 93 and they've given verbal authority to speak to their son or daughter and they want to take the money out because their parent's old and this is not a five to ten year strategy 
And my job is to say, have you looked at other sources? Uh, you know, how much is it that you actually need? <laughs> you know? And, I mean, you know, it's fucking bananas <laughs> when I reflect on it that that was even a job and that was even a thing. But, uh, again, it's like you, you sort of swallow it up and you do it. <laughs> uh, and, I, you know, I stuck that out really for two and a half years. And I made every attempt in that organization to try and progress in the company, to try and um, get promoted. It wasn't going to happen. I actually got to the stage, Jojo, being totally honest, I tried to get demoted. I wanted to, to work in the mailroom. I had my manager speak to the senior manager in the area to say, is there any chance of like moving him from, a, I think it was a band seven to a band eight. I would have taken a pay cut. I'd have done anything. They wouldn't allow it. Wow. Because I was probably reasonably good at the job. I had some of the best stats and they didn't want to lose me from doing what I was doing mm -hmm. and not consider how that was impacting me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was the low point yeah. that was then like, you know, I'm not happy with where my life is just now. How can I change it? And that got me into personal development. Wow. I would go to work, I would either drive or walk to work, I would listen to audio CDs or recordings of, it was Jim Rohn and Zig Ziglar, who were two of the OGs uh, of the personal development world. Jim Rohn was Tony Robbins' mentor. Wow. And, you know, like just putting that, nourishing the brain mm -hmm. uh, really, really helped. It really helped. That's, that's really inspiring <laughs> well. because our brain, I always say, you know, our mind's like a muscle mm. and if you can work at that and really take the time to work at that and invest in yourself, it's mm -hmm. going to reap crazy rewards, isn't it? Totally. I was, uh, there was something that came up on my Instagram feed earlier and it's so true. I think it was uh, John Lee that posted it. And it said that, you know, think everything starts in the mind. So your thoughts determine your feelings. Mm -hmm. Your feelings determine your actions. And your actions determine really how your life looks. Yeah. So everything, literally everything is in the mind. Mm -hmm. And if you're in a place where you're unhappy with your circumstances and all you have is toxic or negative thoughts floating around in your head, then that's not, that's never going to be a recipe for success. It's not at all. <laughs> so how did you raise your vibration? Because obviously at that point... It was a bit shaken from your experience, mm -hmm. from, you know, your lack of purpose in that role. How did you start to raise it? Was it a key moment or was it a build-up? I mean, this, is, this was before I probably even knew what the word vibration meant in mm -hmm. a spiritual sense. Uh, you know, I'm really going back to 2011, 2012. Uh, it was, it was, you know, I, I don't know what you want to call it, uh, coincidence or kismet or... Uh, serendipity is a word that I hear sort of kicked around quite a lot these days but a guy who had been my manager mm -hmm. in Scottish Widows moved to a, an asset management company and one of my colleagues had moved to the same company mm -hmm. and an opportunity came up in their team, the client service team, uh, it was a six month fixed, uh, six month contract to work there and one of the girls that worked in the department had heard that this was available and came over and was like, would anyone be interested? And I literally was like, I will actually, you know, do anything in the world in order to get this opportunity. Mm -hmm. So uh, cutting a long story short, I managed to get that role and it was brilliant. And I eventually went full time in that. And really within the space of a, a couple of years, I went from my aspirations being, I want to retain this full time job to, I want to run the company. 
Wow. which kind of posed its own challenges. And that, but that's, a, that's another story. In terms of raising my vibration, I mean, when I would go to that workplace, so I was inspired by working in a great company that was very regarded as very prestigious, working with incredibly talented people. And just that drove me. That was my motivation. Mm-hmm. I would have gone there, I would have worked there unpaid, yeah, you know, yeah. because I want, you know, it was like the, the sort of, it, and I said, said this to a number of people, you can pay for a great education. You can't buy a great job or, you know, pay your way into a great company. Yeah. You have to earn that on merit. Yeah. And so when I was going there, like every day I would listen to audio books and I would develop myself and I put together this big personal development plan for myself. And I was just doing all this stuff to, to try and improve myself and make myself better, hoping that I would get, you know, again, sort of promoted or <clears throat> move my way up the, the, the corporate ladder. But, you know, at that stage, I hadn't found anything like meditation or, yeah, again, sort of raising my vibration as such. Yeah. That would have been before that. Okay. Before we move forward, sure. let's go back to education. Yeah. Because a friend said to me recently, don't judge me, but, and I'll, I'll, I love that. I want to set, <laughs> set up a series of blogs or videos or something don't judge me but because I, I i am so open-minded i believe it's a key to my happiness is not just seeing things from a totally different perspective yeah. but i want to send my kid to private school now mm. because their kid currently goes to you know the local school and i said why would i judge you mm-hmm. i said i'm not against i my parents couldn't afford to send us to private school they did a great job at raising us mm-hmm. i mean my brother's in a really senior role we're all happy you know, I seem to be doing all right, whatever. Um, but I, you know, I, I didn't go to a, a great school, you know, by the... And I was speaking at Fetis last year and mm. I was, I made a joke with them all. I need to work hard on my second book because <laughs> your teachers are so good. I want to send my kids here one day. Mm-hmm. I'm totally not against it, but I think some people are. There's there's two camps. There's people that say, well, it's not fair in private schools and, um, you know, we're just as capable whatever school we go to. I, I find it really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um What's your thoughts on it? My thoughts on private school. Would you send your kids there? <clears> you... um, yeah, I would uh, if I had the the money. There's so many sort of facets to it. Um, and a lot of the time it's a sort of double-edged sword. I think that, and I've been thinking about this recently, just incidentally. Um, the, I'll start with, I suppose, the downsides of a private education or what I perceive to be the downsides. And this, you know, again, this is just my own mm-hmm. <laughs> my own thoughts on it, so I, I might get flamed for this. I, I don't really mind, I'll tell you honestly. I think that often it breeds a certain type of individual. It can create somebody who is self-entitled, um, is quite ego-driven, uh, has an attitude of, I'm better than people that didn't go to private school, or, um, you know, and... and I spoke to somebody at the event that we spoke at that she was at Mary Erskine's and they really just wanted her to pursue a career in medicine or law or, you know, these sort of traditional career fields, whereas she was a very creative person. She wanted to go into, you know, whatever it would be, acting or um, fashion design or something like that. And it was it was basically taboo. Yeah. And I'm just like, Fetty's actually um, wasn't like that. I didn't find that at all. They recently... 
up, they, they created this building that's devoted purely to sort of classical arts and music and all this stuff, which is, it looks amazing. So it's, it's great in that regard that they actually are willing to foster people's creativity. But I think a lot of schools are guilty for not doing that. Private school, I personally, at Fetty's more specifically, I loved it. It was the, literally the greatest time of my life. Because it was a very small place, it was like 500 pupils, I made lifelong friends. The downside to going to what is a predominantly boarding school is that all of your friends end up moving to other corners of the globe. Mm -hmm. Which is a shame because then you don't get to see them as much. But yeah, I would, you know, that was, if I could turn the clock back and do that all again, I would do it tomorrow. It was absolutely brilliant. What I think it's given me is probably a sense of Mm self-confidence. Um, and I, I don't think it's arrogance. I don't think um, that's that's just me. I, I think I can sort of I'm self aware enough. I can regu- regulate myself yeah. enough to know where I am on that. Um, so yeah, I definitely have a a social confidence. Yeah. Uh, and I believe that I'm able to um, adapt to any social situation really well. But again, how much of that was school, how much of that was my parents, and how much of that is just my DNA? Yeah, it, it's it's hard because you think, well, what are you paying for? Because I had this conversation with someone recently and they were saying, well, that's why a lot of people go to private school. It's for your connections or for, for the sense of confidence. And mm-hmm. I was saying, well, where does the confidence come from? Where is it? Are they giving you more experiences? Are they teaching you more about confidence? The sm- smaller classes... Mm. My higher chemistry class was literally me and one other, and one other guy. Wow. It was me and my friend Alistair. Wow. So if there was a cricket match and Alistair wasn't there, there was only one guy that was getting asked the questions, you know? <laughs> so that's... The, I mean, the class, classes were very small. That perhaps helped because you're getting more attention and a more concentrated education. The quality of the teachers, I can't really comment on. Um, you would think that they are vetted to a higher degree and they're more competent. Uh, That's an interesting point, the quality of the teachers. Yeah. Because, you know, really interesting podcast with Gavin Oates um, last week, and he was a teacher, and he now goes in and helps to motivate teachers and pupils and stuff, and the impact a teacher can have on you is crazy. Yeah, it is. And there's teachers you remember, and then there's the really good ones, and then the the really bad, or the ones you forget, because they didn't make much of an impact. But I, I remember one of my teachers, and he was saying to me, why... Why aren't you pushing yourself? Why are you doing this course when you could do this one? And he really was brilliant, actually. And that impacted my whole career because mm. I went on to do different things. But yeah. it's it's a really interesting one. Yeah, it is. I mean, I can say that there was a couple of teachers at that school that inspired me quite a lot because they saw something in me that I couldn't see in myself. Mm-hmm. So one of them always would say that I had the best... It was mostly around sport. I had the best hands in the school. So like passing a rugby ball. I had good handling ability and he said uh, he's got the best hands in the school. And another teacher said that, so I was playing for like the fourth 15 at the time. And he said that if I lost two stone in weight, uh, he would put me in a different position, like a, a player back. It was a standoff. Uh, and, and I was like, right, I was so motivated by that so the whole summer I went and I trained every day and I improved my diet and like everything was on point to the point that I ended up playing for the first 15 and never actually played standoff 
Wow. You know, so, <laughs> which which was still a win. It was still a huge victory because that was obviously the thing that I probably wanted the most. But for those teachers to sort of recognise that in me was brilliant. I just, actually, I'm just going to rewind very quickly and just make one other point. So my wife didn't go to private school uh-huh. and she has an unbelievable work ethic. Yeah. Which, again, it could be a parental influence, it could be just herself or it could be because of the education that she had or didn't have. Uh, but she is super hardworking, and I think that a lot of the time when you go to private school, if your parents are affluent, uh, then you just don't have the same motivation and drive. I think I have suffered in that regard, probably right. not to play the victim because look, I've got, a, I've had a very comfortable life, yeah. but I definitely don't have the fire of somebody who has come from absolutely nothing yeah. and has had to work for everything. It's where a lot of the great stories happen. They think, I am not going to do you know, they're going to break free from that. Yeah. I think it's it's really interesting and I would like to think, you know, there's amazing teachers, no matter what the school I mean, there'll be teachers tuning in going, well I don't work for the private <laughs> You know, it, it's a hard thing to measure, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah. But I find it interesting. Super interesting. I'm not a gay, I am, uh, I don't like to say on the fence, but... Uh, Right now, they're not in private school. Would I consider it when I, it was going into fetties and the level of, mm. I thought, oh, I wouldn't be against sending them here. But at the same time, I wouldn't yeah. be against sending them to one of the standard schools if it's got a good... Re- for me, Definitely. I look at things like schools that are winning awards for the mental health work. Yeah. Um, I'm that parent that looks at the well-being section in Bonnie's report card first. Really? Before her. Yeah, I just... Because I know she always gets highest for effort. And mm. I know that that's going to take her places. I know she's magic. You know, we, we're all magic in our own way. Yeah. But she'll, she'll work hard and she'll make things happen. And I mm-hmm. think there's that balance between effort and then being naturally gifted with things. You know, it's the mm-hmm. people that actually put more effort in that go on to do amazing things, isn't it? Yeah, oh, 100%. But I think that the fact that your children have you as an influence will be a massive factor in dictating their success in life because Aww. you're an awesome person. Oh, yes, genuinely. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I do think that I think that parents are the first point of contact, and sometimes I think parents can be guilty of having the attitude that, well, you know, because I'm if I'm paying a school, then it's their role to raise my child. Yeah. And I think some parents are maybe guilty of that. And I, look, I don't have kids, but again, I can just see things. I only see things the way that I can see them. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, so I think if you're if you're going to pay for a private education, don't think that it's some sort of miracle pill and that your kid's mm-hmm. going to be brilliant because that's not necessarily the case. You know, the, one of the most important factors in life is the people that you know, they say, what, the five people that you spend the most time with. Or my mentor has a quote, um, people's lives are a direct reflection of the expectations of their peer group. Right. Which is to say, he calls it the law of conformity. If I am surrounded by nine people who are heroin addicts, then, you know, I'll become the 10th. If I hang around with nine people that are entrepreneurial and business focused and, you know, thinking about positivity all the time, then yeah, pretty sure I'll become the 10th. Yeah. That's to me more often important than, than anything else. And it was interesting what you said about being motivated when that trainer said to you, feelers yeah. just don't. And it's funny because my husband swears he doesn't need a personal trainer. He's like, I, and I don't think he does, to be honest. He will go to the gym. He will train mm. religiously. Whereas I know exercise is great for me, but I don't have his level of 
get up and go. And sometimes it's it's people I I, I do work well with trainers, I work well with coaches, and um, inspirational content that helps me to get out the door. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's telling myself. Whereas some people naturally with certain things just it seems effortless. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like if they don't need anyone, where's that come from? Well, I, I was literally just going to say that. Yeah. You know, so where do you think his drive to train has come from? I think perhaps from childhood. Um, perhaps, you know, to prove to prove himself. Yeah. Yeah. To, to really... Um, it's a safety thing as well. So if you have had, you've had a difficult childhood, um, Scott's mum was bipolar. So right, okay. he, he had a really tough time and his dad was amazing and basically held the family together but he was running a guest house <laughs> and mm. running another business and so I think for him he wanted to really and he's an only child so he's like I want to you know I think it's from childhood but yeah. I, I don't know everyone's so different and everyone's experiences are so different yeah aren't they? yeah I mean I think as, as human beings we're ultimately driven by pleasure and pain Mm-hmm. And whatever it is that we attach to those things are the things that ultimately govern the way that we do things and how we are as people. Mm-hmm. So, like for myself, I've attached pleasure to food. That's my Achilles heel. Yeah. That's the thing that is, you know, that I enjoy that. Yeah. Regardless of whether I'm feeling high or feeling low or feeling flat, it's like I look forward to eating food. I love food. Um, <laughs> I actually really enjoy training as well. Mm-hmm. But it, it, again, that's just a. It, it's having the sort of structures and the routines and the habits and, and building all that stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I find it really interesting. So there's a whole chapter in my book, uh, chapter 10, about food. And it's me writing to food and food writing to food. Oh, really? And <laughs> I thought I'd cracked it last year, right? So I tried it, I've tried every diet. And my, my weight's like fluctuated over the years. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be, you know whatever size this and then two sizes higher and that because I enjoy life and then I'm like yeah and they always say um get fit in the gym lose weight in the kitchen so I'm doing all this exercise but I'm like I'm running for marathons and the weight's not coming off and they're like oh well you need to be quite strict you could cut and my mum's so cutthroat she I'm more like my dad so my mum's always had like six pack kind of thing and my dad, <laughs> really? my dad all the weight goes to his gut but bringing yeah. that connection so you know we were more likely to have anxiety or talk about our anxiety. Anyway, that's a different story. But yeah, I find it really interesting because she's like, no, you just have to have this. And she's so routine. And when I'm spontaneous, then I'm like, well, I'm at the airport, so I'll just have the croissant. Or <laughs> I'll, what? Uh, or the other thing was, if there was a bowl of food on the table, right, even though I knew, right, I could do with just having one portion, mm. I would watch myself have a second. So in this chapter, I was hypnotized to try and figure it out. She said, you don't have a negative association with food. So you're not doing it to punish yourself, where mm. some people will do it, you know, you just love eating. And mm-hmm. also, because I was so inquisitive, my mom grew up on rations because of the war and they didn't have much money. Mm-hmm. So she had this fear of having a house without food. So all my life, I've had three-course meals, food celebration, food, feed, feed. I'm now a feeder. So it's it's <laughs> unconscious behaviours that yeah. I've picked up mm-hmm. that I'm struggling to break. So mm-hmm. I had the hypnotherapy, easiest thing. Work. It was effortless, but it wore off. <laughs> yeah. So I'm at the stage where I'm like, I might go back for more of that because it was... Play, it plays with your unconscious behaviours. So I, mm-hmm. I was saying I want balance with food. I want to feel calm. So she's saying you sometimes eat when you're nervous. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's balance. And for so many of us, it's hard to find the balance. It's just a hard... Because 
unconscious habit they're the hard to break yeah habits are so hard to break yeah. and they say everyone has something like oprah says on her podcast that's our thing it's like food because mm. you can't just cut food out mm-hmm. precisely because we need yeah, to eat exactly <laughs> i know it's it's a difficult one it's really difficult it's really really hard mm-hmm. i'm always gonna love it what's your favorite food jeez what's not my favorite food <laughs> uh chinese Chinese food, Indian food, pizza, burgers, just food. Yeah, just food. It's just like really, yeah. I just uh, it's it's clearly something that I've picked up from somewhere. Is that that's the that's the thing. I know it's. Uh, and in spite of you know intense sort of questioning as to like why do I, why why are my behaviours like this. What is it about me that has this affinity for this thing? I don't know. It you ever is, try hypnotism? I have not. No. Mm. No, it I've does, not tried that. It does interest me for all habits. Um, mm. Scott was a heavy smoker when we got together. He was hypnotised. It worked for him. Is that right? Um, yeah. I I think because a lot of our things, it's, for, you know, habits we just pick up so easily. And when you're younger, you're like a sponge, right? So mm-hmm. it could just be something someone said to yeah. you. Or, you know, repeated patterns of behavior that are just so ingrained with you. Yeah. So what, I, what I'm interested in with hypnotherapy is it starts to really rewire that. But mm. it's just making the time. It's like meditation, isn't it? Yeah. You know you should do these things, but <laughs> some days you, you get a little bit lost. I know. I used to smoke, actually. You're saying that I used to smoke. I was like a 20-a-day smoker. Really? For, from like 13, 14 till about 28 Wow. Yeah. Wow. I used to drink a lot as well, but binge drink, like going out on weekend drinking, not like alcoholic drinking. Yeah. That was just something that I just did as a means to, yeah, it was like what everyone else did. It was a cultural thing. And I guess it was maybe an element of sort of escapism in it as well. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But no, it's now just food. (laughs) We We all put on a mask of some sort, don't we? We all carry masks about with us and it's, um... I always say to people, you know, you know, because you could be drinking to escape, or you could be. Too, it's it's actually having that space to share. And you were saying it was interesting. We we're chatting. You're saying that you and your wife, she loves a deep conversation. Mm. And I love that. It's probably a really good influence for you. Hundred percent to have that space. Has she always been that way? Or yeah, yeah. So I mean, me before meeting her, I was. I mean, I was I was a good person. Don't get me wrong, but I would have been a very superficial person, mm-hmm. quite a judgmental person, um, a very materialistic person, and I'm still guilty of that to an extent. Um, but I was very much like, you know, the labels that I wear and the car that I drive, and that you know, those are the things that people will measure me on. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, none of those things bother me whatsoever. Yeah. They just don't. You know, I'm not driven in any way by ego or anything like that. I'm driven by being a good person and doing good things. Growth, um, personal growth and contribution. Those are my big two. My wife um, has always been just a super, super deep person. So her, um, I was listening to your last podcast with Nikki Hutchinson mm-hmm. uh, and you, you brought up the Myers-Briggs yes. assessment. Uh-huh. Uh, so she is an INFJ, which is the rarest personality type. Um, she's very much an empath. You know, she feels things on a very sort of deep emotional level. Yeah. Uh, and so any conversation that you have with her 
is you're going right to the root of it and it's it, everything gets sort of psychoanalyzed mm-hmm. you know which i think is awesome because yeah. she actually thinks about things and she actually will like critique uh, the behaviors of others and try and look for the sort of the reason behind the reason behind the reason mm-hmm. i love i love that <laughs> yeah i think i'm an yeah. enfg yeah so extroverted feeling what was it en uh, intuitive feeling judging so that is that e but that's similar like you uh, so she, she would be extra uh, sorry introverted as opposed to extroverted but still have that so like that really going down into the details. Oh, yeah, big time, yeah. So the extrovert will sort of project themselves onto the outer world where I think the introvert kind of absorbs the outer world and then processes it internally. It's yeah. something like that. Uh-huh. But, I mean, really they say that an extrovert is somebody who charges themselves up, their battery, if you like, in the company of others. They get their energy from the outer world or other people. Yeah. And the introvert gets it from really being alone and and charging up and you know in their own space yeah Yeah. i mean but we've had this chat before it's good to have a bit of like we should encourage each other to have a bit of both but yeah the ambivert yeah 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 Yeah. (laughs) but but i think that's a gift that she has to be able to strip things back Mm -hmm. judge less and obviously had a huge influence would you see that's been a huge influence and because we're going to get back onto your journey of okay. vibrations because we're kind <laughs> oh, yeah, of yeah. would uh, you see like talk let's pick up back what we were talking about when you were wanting to be promoted and then you were on this journey still to find your higher vibration what had you were you with your wife at this point uh yeah yeah so we've been together in december uh, it will be 14 years wow yeah yeah, a long time. Congrats. Oh, thank you. Congrats. 50% of our friends got divorced. Is that uh, right? Yep. Wow. Um, so stats, do you think you're just a good match or do you think you're both working hard at it? Um, I think we complement each other quite well. Uh, so I am hyper laid back, mm-hmm. whereas she's a lot more... Uh, I don't know whatever the opposite of that is without being disparaging. <laughs> I would say highly strong. <laughs> but, you know, she's a lot more kind of uh, on things in sort of particular, I, I guess, um, whereas I'm a lot more just lacy fair in my attitude to life. Sounds like me and my husband. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of couples probably have elements of that uh, for sure. But I, I do think the ones that are opposite seem to last longer. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Not to stereotype, <laughs> but that's just my perception. Yes, I see people. Exactly. I, I look. So that's good. So you balance. Yeah. So you met um, fourteen, no, thirteen, fourteen. Oh, like uh, her. So we met just before December. It would have been around December, whatever year that was, about fourteen years ago. Uh-huh. And we had our first date on the twenty fourth of December. Um, and that's our sort of unofficial anniversary. Aww. So every uh, Christmas Eve, we have a nice meal and stuff. We usually go to the Balmoral um, or something like that. And yeah. Was yeah, it yeah. love at first sight or was it just instant chemistry? Um, we were introduced through mutual friends, I guess. Uh-huh. Um, and we just got on really well. We just got on really well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I love at first sight. It's a funny one. I don't know if that's actually a thing or not, if, you know, how can you, you can't love somebody on an emotional level purely on a superficial 
uh, view, if, if you like. Lost at first sight. Well, that's it. Yeah, there has to be something deeper that, that connects you as opposed to just this person's outer shell. It's an energy, <laughs> isn't it, though? Yeah. It's not just... Because sometimes you see someone that's like you be attracted to, but they don't have that energy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's totally. a whole thing. Yes, it is. So you yeah. had your first date, and, yeah. then, and then from there it was just... <sighs> yeah. I mean, we dated continually for the first however long, number of months, and then... We, we quite quickly were like, so we're going out. Yep, we're going out. And then we've been together for, I mean, I proposed on our 10-year anniversary. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> Although some people would be like, that uh, took you a while. Well, I know exactly. <laughs> I know. Yeah, tell me about it. Yeah. But uh, so, oh, it was like, if it, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of yeah. thing. I always took the attitude that, like, she, you know, we lived together and, you know, we got on perfectly well. Nothing's changed. Mm-hmm. Our relationship now is exactly the same as it was before we were married mm-hmm. because we're, effect, you know, we're in effect married without a bit of paper. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's <laughs> a marriage is more than just rings and paper yeah no absolutely mm-hmm. it's an interesting one mm-hmm. and it depends on your experience as well how you view it and fears around it and yeah you know it's... yeah I th- I'm, I'm glad that i did it from a, a commitment perspective because uh-huh. it shows that you're properly in it with yeah. the person yeah um but i don't see it as being an essential part of uh, you know the actual commitment yeah if that makes any sense no it does <laughs> so has she been on this um journey with you is she quite into self-development no much less so than me I would say Uh, no I wouldn't have said self-development I mean she is all you know given the sort of personality type that she is she's already very self-aware and you know looks to sort of critique and improve herself anyway that's almost a default position for her so yeah whereas I probably had (laughs) <laughs> more flaws to work on as a person oh. Oh. I mean we've all, we've all got flaws no one's yeah. perfect yeah so at this point when you were still on this journey to find your purpose was there mm. a key moment where things started to align when the um it was it was the intersection of two things so it was it was me starting podcasting mm-hmm. and loving that you know that was absolutely my biggest passion when I started mm-hmm. having conversations with people and asking questions I became infamous in the company that I worked in for asking questions mm-hmm. because I just enjoy sort of breaking things down picking things apart getting a deeper understanding of how things really work mm-hmm. and and I do that now with people you know it's like really get to the core of the individual who is this person at the center so it was it was a, a deep love of doing what I was doing and a growing you know, antipathy, <laughs> which is maybe a strong word, but a sort of massive frustration with where I was working and my lack of progression. Mm-hmm. So it felt like I was trying to hammer a, you know, a square peg through a round hole. Yeah. I felt as though I was swimming against the current. I felt as though nothing that I was doing was working. And I was massively frustrated. And people probably recognized that, that I was almost like desperate to try and progress and uh you know 
grow into a more senior position within the organization and nobody was really willing to facilitate or, or you know, there was one or two people that, that tried their best um, in order to try and help that process, but it just wasn't happening. Mm-hmm. So it was the universe was saying, you probably shouldn't be doing this, you should be doing that. And so it all just sort of unfolded quite naturally mm-hmm. that, you know, in spite of every, every effort, like in the, my previous role, <laughs> you know, is it something that I'm doing or am I just not the right fit for that type of environment? Yeah. And I think that's really what it is. I think I'm somebody that struggles with that degree of hierarchy and that degree of structure and an organisation. I'm quite a free spirit. Yeah. Which may think, makes things a challenge in other facets of my life. Okay. Uh, like managing myself, like my eating habits, like going to the gym and doing stuff. You know, I need routine. Yeah. But, but you know, having to adhere to certain things, I really struggle with. I think we're very similar that way, actually. There's quite a pattern there. And I, yeah. I think the more I've been researching, you know, routine versus having that spontaneity. <laughs> and it's, mm-hmm. it's almost reining yourself back in a bit. Yeah. It doesn't feel comfortable sometimes because... It's great to, you know, we need a bit of both, but I guess it's yeah. the balance that works for you, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. So that's, I mean, that was really how I uncovered inadvertently my greatest passion, which was sitting down and going really, really deep in conversation and exploring the psyche of other people in a, you know, in the, in the same way that a therapist or a coach yeah. would do, really. That's, that's how I view it. Um, and so, yeah, my purpose was sort of spawned out of that. I mean, I see my purpose as being to inspire and elevate the consciousness of other people, you know, um, raise the, the, the way in which people view the world themselves, mm-hmm. society as a whole, mm-hmm. because where I was, say, 10 years ago, I see things in, t- I mean, it's not even comparable mm-hmm. and I'm not sure that I could have a conversation with who I was 10 years ago because I would be so different. Yeah. Like really different. Like complete paradigm shift. Like, you know, not not even like somebody's picked up a snow globe and sh- shaken it around. Like the, the snow globe has been smashed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I see the world and I saw it in black or I saw it in white and I now see it in, you know, the reverse. Wow. Crazy different. Crazy different. Yeah. And that, you know, is so encouraging to hear for people because we can change. We mm-hmm. can grow. We mm-hmm. don't have to have a fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. You know, we mm-hmm. can we can grow so much, and it's really good for our mental fitness to do that, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. But it's a process. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Fascinating stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, I sort of reflect on it um, now and again, but. The problem is the, the the type of individual that I am. I still have frustration with things in my life, so it's like not you, you know everything isn't. Have you seen the wheel of life? Yeah. Yeah. So it's like you've got your finances and your relationships and your uh, career and like all these sort of little, little bits mm-hmm. that make up this pie chart, and they're all ranked one to ten. Like I'm always looking to try and get them better, but the challenge is trying to do it all at once and. No. Oh man, I, like how do you even start with that? I mean, my biggest challenge genuinely is my eating. And I think that longer term, that's probably my purpose. Yeah. My purpose is to um, 
overcome or heal heal myself or overcome my eating addiction in order to inspire other people to do the same because obesity and bad eating and all this stuff is becoming such a massive massive problem and it's my biggest pain point and uh you know passion stems from a love of doing something purpose i believe comes from the the pain the struggle the overcoming the adversity Uh uh-huh and it's like we all have a pain point, don't we? Mm-hmm. And it's not like you can have 10 on the circle for everything. <laughs> you know? It's, it's true. Uh, and it's like these weaknesses are meant to challenge us, to push us, <laughs> to... No, it's, it's so interesting. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Yeah. For me, I think, right, what can I do to inspire other people? And it's like what, what you know what you're saying, like with content, or if mm. if you can put something to to help others, that's such a drive, isn't it? Yeah, because yeah. you make you don't make it about yourself; you make it about other people, and then it gives you more of a oh, interesting. So, did you? I mean, have you got in terms of inspiration? Are there books that change your life? Um, a podcast conversation, I guess, because you have so many deep, amazing conversations, mm-hmm. you're constantly inspired. Yeah, I am. Inspiration is a funny one. I think that inspiration is a sort of fleeting thing so that you you can become inspired through something, but staying inspired is very challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, the One of the biggest shifts was a podcast. It was a conversation on the London Real podcast, mm-hmm. and it was a chap called Peter Sage who is somebody that I consider a mentor and he has been a guest on my show now as well and he had a conversation with uh, Brian Rose of London Real and it was just a really easy relaxed conversation but he shared things in that episode that were really a game changer for me because I had never heard anyone talk in these terms Mm -hmm. so Peter's sweet spot really is fusing entrepreneurship with spirituality right Uh, and so one of the things that he talks about is levels of consciousness. So you can look at frameworks for levels of consciousness. There's a book called Power Versus Force okay. by the late um, Dr. Um, David Hawkins. But Peter uses this really excellent way of describing it. So, you know, there's four levels. There is the two me mentality, which is like the victim you know, uh, you know, I would do better in life, but oh, everything happens to me. Mm-hmm. There is then the by me mentality, which is sort of personal development, growth. Uh, it's all your like Gary Vaynerchuk's or, you know, Tony Robbins uh, setting goals and going out and smashing it. So, you know, if I'm going to win, it's going to happen by me. Mm-hmm. There is then through me, which is living in alignment, living in flow and just allowing the experience of life to just happen mm-hmm. and just, you know, go with the bends in the river. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's as me, which is that sort of state that you might achieve in moments of meditation when you connect to everything. We're all one. Uh, you know, I am part of the universe, mm-hmm. you know, the, the total connectedness. And so Peter's sweet spot was taking people from by me and still is taking people from the by me setting goals, but often being in resistance, which is where I was when I worked, you know, big time where I was (laughs) to living through me and just, well, you know, allowing things to unfold and be as they are and and going with the bends, which is tough because you then need to relinquish your, your grip on certainty. 
Yeah. You know, it's allowing just things to be. And I, I find that still a massive, massive challenge. Yeah. Um, but, you, you know, so it was things like that that he spoke about in this podcast where my mind was just repeatedly just blown. Wow. Just like knowledge bomb galore. I was just like, wow. That was that was a big, big part of it. Well, I mean, I'd already obviously been very into personal development and stuff prior to that. But that was a that was a big shift, and so on the back of that, I went to Peter's event. He does a this was a three day transformational event in Heathrow, mm-hmm. and in day one, he just it's about it was called the Millionaire Business School. So he hooked people in by saying that you know this is how to teach you how to be a millionaire. Right. But realistically, what he was doing was just transforming your mindset. Right. So he took people on day one and just broke them down through various exercises to the absolute core like who are you why are you here what's your purpose questions that up until that point in my life I had literally never even considered Mm -hmm. I hadn't even had a reason to think about what purpose was Mm -hmm. I mean what the (laughs) it's just you know it's crazy just going through the you know just kind of living my life kind of going through the motions trying to enjoy myself you know buying more stuff and just sort of succumbing to my you know um desires I guess mm-hmm. <laughs> just just yeah I mean I was just quite an empty person I was like a blank slate or like a you know a picture frame without any picture in it yeah yeah <laughs> nice words um so the first day is like break break oh, yeah, it all down time. yeah yeah there's one exercise in particular called the card three exercise mm-hmm. which I mean it's difficult to explain how it works in full but it's like you know um, in your head if you go into a certain room you know you're you're a child it's almost a hip, hip, uh, hypnosis exercise you're taken back to like when you're young and you go into a room and like is your mum or dad there and like what's the energy of the room and all this stuff wow. and it, you eventually end up going through the whole exercise having three cards at the end and one of them's like these are all your negative things these are all the bad things and your triggers, and then these are your good traits, and and really where you kind of pick them all up, like yeah, crazy stuff. Was really there anything awesome. that really shocked you from the results? Oh, I mean, the biggest realization was the fact that I had been, you know, banging my head against a brick wall in my job in order to try and get a better role, and ultimately that was driven by significance. It was driven by me feeling as though I had arrived or being, you know, some semblance of Mm self-validation that I'm now in a job earning X, wearing a suit. uh, And so I can tell other people that this is the job that I do. And somehow that's like my ego is happy with this, Mm -hmm. probably to satisfy my father. Right. Yeah. Because that's very much how he sees the world. I would say, you know, like uh, would measure success in financial terms and sort of where you are on the corporate ladder Mm -hmm. as opposed to how happy are you yeah 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 you know i know (laughs) i said something earlier and i was thinking oh that didn't i was saying oh you know when we're speaking about schools and i was like yeah my brother he's really in a a a senior role and part of me was like but i also meant (laughs) to say he's happy you know, because yeah. I, I, yeah. sort of going against it within a preach, but but you know, happiness is the fundamental, isn't it? Yeah. And I think it's great to be in. I, I'm in awe of people that are following their dream or they're do. You know, they're in really power positions where they mm-hmm. have to really bring it, like mm-hmm. with everything they have. Mm-hmm. But yeah, 
the the well-being, as you say, that sense of well, purpose. Well, I, I really was in a, on a career path that was akin to a riptide. Mm-hmm. I had never... I had never started from what am I good at? Who am I at the core? What are the things that I love to do every day? Mm-hmm. That wasn't the basis for me doing the work that I was doing. I fell into something accidentally because I couldn't get a job doing the thing that I probably would have preferred to do. Yeah. And here's me X number of years into the process trying to get somewhere that probably wouldn't ultimately make me that happy anyway. Yeah. I would have had a, you know, a nice business card, a decent job title and a, a, a you know, a, a sort of moderately good salary. Yeah. But, you know, with <laughs> is is that me? Is that me living my purpose? Is that me living in alignment with who I am and my personal values and maximizing my potential on earth? Mm-hmm. Well, no, I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. I just don't think it is. Yeah. Powerful statement. It's just, Jojo, what it is is the truth. Yeah. A lot of people don't like hearing the truth. A lot of people don't like looking in the mirror and because it, it's difficult. It's difficult to have conversations with others or with yourself that really actually fundamentally challenge the fabric of who you are as a person and the things that you do. Mm-hmm. That's tough stuff. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's tough, but I mean, it's great. And for you, you were saying to me, there, there's so many people you've wanted to interview hmm. and you've, you've managed to manifest, yeah. you know, tell us about your the vision and how you made it a reality. Oh, man. Um, I mean, my, my intention or ambition when I started out was really just on creating a world-class interview show. That was the, the foundation. And then... There was two people when I set out that I most wanted to interview out of anyone on the planet. And they are people that are prominent podcast guests, really. Mm-hmm. They're not, I don't know that you would consider them to be household names. Like they've not been on telly and they're not really celebrities or that sort of stuff. Because I look at those metrics and think that they're quite empty. Yeah. They're quite vacuous. It's like someone's on telly, great. So you don't watch Love Island? <clears throat> Oh, this is a whole nother conversation. <laughs> um, last year, I watched it sort of bits and pieces of it by proxy because my wife would watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this year, I mean, I'm not sure what my stance on it. I, I, I recently posted a video. I had been on another podcast and Love Island came up in conversation because people had committed suicide mm-hmm. after being on it. Mm-hmm. And it was quite topical. And yeah, I have... Oh, man, reality television and the sort of values that they stand for and what they're promoting, I just think is, it's just toxic. It's just, it's awful. It's absolutely awful. It's chewing gum for the brain. It actually makes people worse as humans than it does better. It's just terrible. You know, television as a whole, actually, for most people, is a way of just shutting their brains down and just escaping reality. I think you need a TV show. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think we need more positivity. But, uh, well, we do, but this, the, you know, the, the biggest problem is that positivity today doesn't sell. People are, you know, the mainstream media's business model is to hijack people's amygdalas. So there's a the primitive part of your brain that's responsive uh, or, or, you know, um, its role is to keep you safe. 
So that when you're walking past a tree and there's an apple on the tree, you probably don't notice it or you might see it. But if there's a snake on the tree, then you notice it immediately. That's your brain, you know, that's a primitive function um, from humans from is, is when, when we began as people. Um, and that's the business model of the media is to feed people with negative information and over-sensationalized, scandalous bullshit mm-hmm. because that's what people will look at in the same way that they'll look at the snake on the tree. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. so true. And so, I mean, nowadays, my um, TV diet, if you want to call it that, which I will, is mainly Netflix or stuff that has been recorded, you know, on demand. Mm -hmm. And it's stuff that I won't watch it now and just be kind of like watching it. I tend to watch it much more critically. Yeah. So firstly, from the point of view that because I'm now quite an experienced videographer, cinematographer, creator of visual stuff. Mm-hmm. I look at it from that perspective, so I see a lot more things like, oh, so they p- place the camera there. Well, that's a cool shot. Oh, I like how they frame that, etc. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also in a more critical sense, like, what is the storyline here? Where are they going with this? Why are they doing that? You know, what are the parallels with my life? More of a sort of self-improvement type thing. So yeah. I'm actually watching it and, you know, I'm, I'm kind of learning at least something from it rather than just trying to escape my life because I'm so unhappy every day. Yeah. No. I with that. a with a glass of wine and a cigarette. <laughs> so what you were saying went on a tangent. There, yeah, no, I'm I'm guilty no, for doing I, that. I wanted to cover that, so I'm glad we did. <laughs> All right. um, so these people they're not your celebrities, but to no. you they are Jeez. heroes. We got there from there. Wow. Uh, yes. Well yeah, I mean like the people that I admired massively and they're just really really good well they're really good podcast guests because what they say is absolutely the truth and I just really enjoy listening to them speak one of them is extremely controversial I would say his his uh his shtick definitely isn't for everyone he's probably perceived by many as a sort of misogynistic Trump supporting conservative you know <laughs> castle um uh, layered but uh is a guy called dan pena he's known as the 50 billion dollar man dan has been on joe rogan's podcast that episode's had one and a half million views and wow. um, his cumulative views through london real must be in the tens of millions easily wow. uh, and he's now got i think he'll be creeping up to about 100,000 um subscribers on youtube yeah, Dan, like, I just really enjoy listening to Dan because he's so, he's brutally honest. Mm-hmm. And so by him being like that, it challenges a lot of my, the ways that I view things. Mm-hmm. Look, in the same way that I interviewed Tommy Sheridan, and I don't agree with a lot of what Tommy says, but again, it challenges me to think, right, where, are, where am I? Uh-huh. What, what, what are my views? And Because many of my views prior to that were just, my mum thinks it. Or my dad thinks that. Yes. Or my, my friends think that. Yes. You know, I'll vote Tory because everyone around me votes Tory is not a good enough reason. It's like, right, okay, so you've got this thing called a political spectrum and you can do political assessments and figure out where do I fall on, you know, abortion? <laughs> what are my thoughts on, you know, the legal system yeah. or, or immigration, all this stuff, which is stuff, again, that 
I never thought about beforehand. I never probably had much of a reason to. Um, so anyway, we're, we're going off again. I'd, I'd prefer to say more of something so you can stop me than not say enough. Because I know what it's like on the other side of the fence. It's like when people give you answers that maybe just stop short of what you want, you know, what you're hoping to get out of them, you're left a bit like, oh, I wish they had gone into that a bit more. So I'm guilty of going too much. No, I love it. <laughs> And the other person, so Dan, I interviewed Dan on the, I think it was the 2nd of December 2017. Mm -hmm. uh, and then Peter Sage this year, like, I, you know, t to say that I manifested it, I'm not, I just don't know whether that's true or whether it's like just events happened that, you know, allowed it to happen. I don't really know. It's, I'm, I, I struggle on that. I believe things happen at the right time, though. Yeah, oh, very much you know? so. I would 100% agree on that. So, I mean, Dan's one specifically. Um, I had been on Dan's mailing list, but every single email that was sent to me was going into a junk folder, mm -hmm. apart from one that landed right in my mailbox to say he was coming to Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. And that was like a gift. And at that stage... In my career, my podcasting, broadcasting career, I had something like 268 subscribers uh, on my YouTube channel. There was no reason whatsoever that Dan would, you know, have to come and sit with me because it probably wasn't going to get that much exposure or anything. It was almost like he was doing me a favor. Uh -huh. You know, what is it he says? It's better to be better to be lucky than smart. And it was just, it was like the right place at the right time. But obviously when I set out originally, that was my big goal. So on some level, I probably did manifest it uh, because that was the target and that's what I was focusing on. Did he say why he agreed? <sighs> you love your style of interviewing, your deep conversations. No, because like, I think the, the it was... Dan's assistant probably was the gate, mainly the gatekeeper. And it was like, does he have time in his schedule and all that kind of stuff, I would imagine. And ultimately, Dan is very generous with his time. Yeah. And Dan probably thinks that any level of, um, I mean, publicity is not the best word, but, you know, some any sort of exposure is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And Dan's mission is to very much inspire people, transform the way they view. A lot of it's around about money. Yeah. Um, money's not the most important thing, but it's the only thing people keep track of is what he thinks. So is uh, he for, like, let's make millions? Big time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, his, his first book was called Your First Hundred Million. Wow. So he teaches people at his castle seminars. He owns Guthrie Castle in Perthshire, and he runs uh, QLA seminars, so people go and stay at the castle for a week, and it's a 20 grand ticket uh, entry cost. And he, again, like Peter's thing, breaks them down uh, with this sort of military boot camp style training mm -hmm. and calls people C words and all sorts of stuff. His oh. methods are super, super extreme. Oh. But people leave that new people. He's, oh. he, he breaks them down and builds them back up and transforms them from a poverty mindset to a, you know, I'm a fucking billionaire. Because <laughs> money, money can be a metaphor for so many things, right? Yeah. Some people hold on to it really tightly. Mm -hmm. Some give it away. Some don't believe they're capable of making money. 
Yes. And it's probably from others' beliefs, you can't do that, you can't do that, you can't do that. Yeah. Some don't know where to start. Mm. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, yeah. quite a... Yeah, it is. I, mean, I personally like the phrase that your net worth is not your self-worth or your self-worth is not your net worth. Uh-huh. I think so many people, and, and again, I think it's social conditioning that we measure our value in the world based on how much we're worth mm-hmm. or how much we make. And I just, you know, that's so flawed. It's so deeply flawed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think, I think people, you know, a lot of people have dysfunctional relationships with money. Uh, whether it's that they don't earn enough of it or whether it's the pursuit of earning more money means that they don't get to spend time with their children. Mm-hmm. You know, there's just two sides to the coin. Mm, there really is. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. I think it's the balance because I huh. used to have a fear, like it was like the love of money is the root of all evil and all these things that are yeah. in my head from childhood. But then to me now, I just see money as freedom. Mm-hmm. I see it, it's not something I fear and I value myself. So, you know... Um, yeah. Bonnie had said to me we were getting a flight uh, an EasyJet our first EasyJet flight and she said mum can you just keep working hard so we can fly first class <laughs> seriously <laughs> because I, she said I don't like these queues and it would be nice to have a drink before takeoff and I thought that's my daughter that's brilliant my mum always said to me you've got extravagant taste I don't know where you're from and uh, so I'll probably get that off dad um, but because <laughs> my mum's very you know oh, Oh, no, none of this fancy stuff. And she, she slags me if I get nice wine and I sniff it and she goes, oh, wanker. But, you know, that's who... And, and that's... I like quality things. I like nice wine. It's not a, it's not an ego thing. It's I genuinely love a really nice taste in wine. Yeah, yeah. I like that. Yeah, I genuinely love quality items. I genuinely mm. love... Well, I did work in luxury hotels so maybe I was spoiled but but I have quite high standards for hotels but at the Mm -hmm. same time I can go and get messy on a beach and not spend a lot of money either but it's it's freedom isn't it yeah it is it absolutely is that's where I am now it's finding that uh, that level at which you know you're making enough money that you are happy and comfortable but not selling your soul or aspiring to be a billionaire because that that just it doesn't it doesn't kind of motivate me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you want to be a billionaire. Okay, that's super. Why? Yeah. Why do you want to be a billionaire? Yeah. I would think that the majority of people that want to be billionaires are doing it for the wrong reasons. Mm. Yeah. I yeah. know. What are you going to do with that? Well, it's like, is that going to really make you happy? Is that going to give you a deep sense of inner fulfillment? Mm. Because I'll tell you what, it probably won't. Yeah. Bill Gates has a quote that, you know, um, making your first million I can understand, but after that it's just the same cheeseburger. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's true. I do want to go to the Maldives and stay in one of these stilts. Maybe I can yeah, get that looks hashtag amazing. gifted. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> Tag him in this, you never know. <laughs> uh, so yeah. the best interview you ever, ever took part in, what would you say? Uh, uh, these are quite difficult questions to answer for the simple reason that every single interview is just so different yeah you don't have to you don't have to have an answer Go I will have it. an answer because <laughs> I wouldn't cop out um, <laughs> but uh, I mean my answer is kind of predictable I think uh, based on what I've been saying but uh, it's often it's like you know who I am as a person evolves over time as well so there's interviews that I've done where maybe I've not been in the right headspace or I've had shit going on in my life and I'm just like not on my game Mm -hmm. Um, the Peter Sage interview I mean I 
left that interview thinking, God, I didn't feel that I did a great job in that. Because before we started, we I would say that we sort of like almost meditated or set an intention and then just allowed everything to unfold. Whereas normally I'm a bit more... Not that I wasn't structured, but I just usually have a different approach to that. Mm -hmm. So it felt like I was just kind of channeling the forces of the universe to have a really good conversation rather than feeling as though I had more control around it. wasn't coming from your (laughs) intellect. It It wasn't. It was just like I was just a conduit for this interview to happen. I was just channeling, you know, good vibes. Mm -hmm. But then when I watch it back, and a, a massive part of it obviously is because Peter's an outstanding speaker and shares such great stuff. But that interview, like, you know, I would say that that's up there with the best interviews that I have ever seen or listened to. And if people listen to it and think otherwise, then, you know, that's up to them. But genuinely, I think that interview is like, I am, if I die tomorrow and that remains, that's fine. I'm tuning in. It's Where can people find amazing. it? Amazing. Um, I mean, YouTube or my website. Yeah, I would say. I mean, if you, if you probably if you Google um, Peter Sage Inspired Edinburgh, mm-hmm. Peter Sage Elliot Reeves, or just Inspired Edinburgh, anything of that nature. Um, I've got all my episodes now on my website, and it was only I'm trying to think what I'm on at the moment. So Josh Littlejohn was my latest one that I published, which was seventy six. And it was two before that, so it would be 74. Wow. How often are you putting them out? Oh, not a lot. You keep it waiting. Well, no, it's not really for that. It's just the amount of time and energy that goes into producing it mm-hmm. takes so much energy. Like, I have to be in a certain frame of mind to want to sit down and edit, mm-hmm. basically, for five hours. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So our our mutual buddy, Daniel Ewan Henderson. Oh, he's wild. <laughs> he's my next guest oh. at this moment in time. He's the next one. And it's just like, and the, you know, I love Daniel. And the conversation that we had was awesome. But it's like the sitting down and being like the editing is like, oh, man. Yeah. I mean, when I started out originally, it was all great fun and it was exciting and stuff. But now it's just like, I basically need to allocate a certain amount of time to get it done. It feels it feels harder now than it did when I started. Yeah. No, <laughs> that's the thing. It's the conversations mm-hmm. that bring you to life. And then it's all the work that goes on behind the scenes that people don't see. Yeah. But if you have that passion, you just, you keep going. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. But, so I've, I've got to the stage where, you know, in order to basically attract the level of guests that I'm aspiring to, your Dan Peñas and your Peter Sage types, um, I have to sort of reduce my output Mm -hmm. because otherwise I'm interviewing people that um, perhaps don't fit the mould or whatever. I don't know how you want to say it. I I don't want to sound like a dick when I'm saying it. So, But that's basically... But also just the amount of time and effort, I can't justify it to myself. Yeah. And not be remunerated for it. So, so you turn a lot of like, people away from your podcast. Uh, do you know what? I actually don't really get approached that much these days, which is quite nice um, in, in some ways, because a lot of the time it would be, you know, I just don't have the capacity for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why I started my side podcast, The Elliot Reeves Show, because it's a lot less, um, there's, there's less sort of, frills mm-hmm. and I can sit down have a conversation and put an episode out now with one camera and it doesn't take too long yeah and it's 
also it's not like the wear and tear on you know eight cameras and recording equipment and all that sort of it's stuff which is it's like basically a ten thousand pound setup wow. you know and it's like i have to be able to sort of justify that uh so so i mean realistically at the moment i'm probably one episode every three weeks something like that amazing which i mean i i think to be honest i'm probably looking at like one episode a month and if there are people that are approaching me because they want to come on the show, my the option is to do a paid interview. Yeah. So what I would say is I can do a promotional, call it a promotional interview if you want, or just I will charge you a fee to come on in the same way that, you know, if you approached a video production company and said, can you do an interview for me? They wouldn't do it for nothing. <laughs> What's your rates or are these? They're high, Jojo. They're really high. Do you want to tell um, people? I mean, it's north of two grand. Okay. You know, um, at the moment I've put down two nine nine five for so I've got like a um, a product ecosystem if you like. So one nine nine five is a ninety minute interview, a selection of social media clips, um, and all that good stuff. But you're responsible for the distribution of it, so it will reach your network. Yeah. Whereas the two nine nine five is. I will distribute that to my entire audience. There will be more social media clips that you can also use. Mm -hmm. Um, And I mean, my audience now across all the platforms is like 55,000 or thereabouts. So it's decent. And any money that I make through, you know, doing interviews and stuff, I will reinvest into promotion and all that stuff. And then the sort of top tier platinum (laughs) interview would be just the same as the second one uh, but with a full paid paid promotional thing on top of that as well so that would be on Facebook and YouTube and Google and all that stuff and that's you've got to be looking at about five grand for that I mean I I value my time and you know ultimately I am in some ways uh, I don't want to dilute my brand by interviewing people um, that aren't of the caliber. I don't want to sound like a wank, but that's that's the reality of it. It's like anyone that ultimately sits in the guest chair is kind of a reflection of me and the work that I do. And I want to ensure that if someone is look, if someone's willing to pay a few grand for it, they want it. Yeah. But so you want what? What are you looking for with your? Is it just someone that's prepared to be really deep in someone that's changing the world? <laughs> it, it, it depends, because obviously if someone's paying like three grand for the interview, they I want them to have a sufficient enough steer on what the conversation is as well. Yeah. Every interview that I've had has had an element of promotion anyway, because it's like, you know, by speaking about the individual, what they do, and, you know, that comes out anyway. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I mean... For non-paid interviews, I'm looking for household names, social reach of over 100,000, or having done something that's like a world first. And do you uh, make, if they've got a reach of over 100,000, do you see you have to share it too, so it benefits you? I mean, it's kind of implicit, you know? But, I mean, even if, if someone has a million followers and they come on, I'm capable enough of the promotion that I'll be able to get traffic anyway. Yeah. Because ultimately, the, you know, people are going to be Googling that or putting that into Facebook and I'm going to come up yeah. by default. Um, but I don't have like a condition. I had a conversation with someone recently that said you should charge them a deposit and only give the money back when they've shared it or it's had so many views. But I'm just like, that's, that's too much. Yeah. It's too extreme. I like it's, look, it's a good idea, <laughs> but it's too much for me. So, 
So yeah, so for paid, I mean, look, it could be anyone. Um, I'm not going to take three or five grand from some sort of Bond villain, you know, who who might be a billionaire, but just wants to like talk shit and spread hate. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's exactly. not ultimately about the money. It's about, you know, cha-ching, like, cha-ching. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> it's like, uh, it's, it, you know, I'm not, I'd never set out to do what I do because of money. Mm-hmm. In actual fact, and I've said this to a number of people, if I wanted to pick probably the worst thing that I could find in order to try and monetize, it might be what I'm doing. <laughs> you know? Because it's, it's very difficult to uh, create a business around... I mean, it's, it's, it's easier now, obviously, because I'm experienced in doing what I'm doing. Um, but you know, everyone... What is it? There's a quote that someone said to me. Everyone wants to operate in their zone of genius. Mm-hmm. And I'm a really, really good interviewer mm-hmm. with a really, really good setup that creates really, really good-looking stuff. So if someone wants to pay me to take advantage of that, then let's do it. As you say, you hit the nail on the head. You value your time. Yeah. And, you know, you've become an expert in your field. And these mm-hmm. things don't happen overnight. It's hard work, as you say. It's the self-development, working on your mindset, being around positive people. And you're doing all these things. So, um, yeah. honestly, it's so inspiring. I could talk oh. to you all day. It's <laughs> honestly <laughs> just um, really, really interesting stuff. So I'm excited to follow your journey. Would love you to come on again sometime. Of course, I'd love to. And uh, what song? What's your favourite song and why? Or what song would you pick for us to to go blast after this? Oh dear, I was you know I've thought about that a lot. I really don't know. You mean a song with which to sing along to? Well, I always <laughs> ask people their favourite karaoke song, but My favourite karaoke. Um, song. Some people don't like karaoke, so I just sort of say a song that inspires you and why. <sighs> That helps a song that boosts your mojo, uh, I guess. Uh, uh, I don't really know. I mean, something like Don McLean's American Pie is a bit of a classic, but I don't know if it. Inspiring's a funny one. Uh, it would be something much more uplifting. It'd probably be something like Take That. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Oh. Maybe. I mean, I don't. I honestly don't. I The music that I listen to is generally dance or trance music. Oh, really? Yeah, I because I, I grew up through the golden era of that music, which I would consider to be, you know, 98 to 2002. There was just some unbelievable dance anthems. Oh, I know. Like, were. amazing stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I had, like, all the ministry albums and all that stuff. And, oh. you know, I went to Ibiza and I used to do a lot of sort of clubbing and stuff. Too old for it now, unfortunately. I'd still love to go to Tomorrowland, but... Oh, uh, I love it all. Yeah, so that stuff. So that's the music. Like, in my car at the moment, I listen to a guy called Andrew Rael, okay. who's my favourite DJ. He is... Like a modern day, uh, Armin van Buren was probably his main influence. He's a he's about twenty eight year old Moldovan guy who is like a modern day Mozart, but with trance music. Amazing. But the, the operatic vocals and just all sorts of strings and just crazy combinations of music. Oh. But that just gets your you can feel that chill. You can just oh I love it. The music <laughs> yeah. is so good, isn't it? It's awesome. Well we'll go play something, <laughs> sing us out and um thank you so much. You've been a really inspirational guest. Oh, thanks so, so much, Jojo. It's been you. an absolute pleasure being here. Thanks for having we'll me. We'll come back. <laughs> thank you. I would take that. I love take that. Also, Gavin was speaking about the lyrics in this song when he was on last week. Elliot and I both interviewed him on the podcast this week. So I think the lyrics are 
really great in this song, you know. Um, Elliot loves Take That, he loves Electra, we'll have to dance to that. Um, we've come so far, we've reached so high, and we looked each day and night in the eye. These lyrics, and we're still so young, and we hope for more. Oh, let's bring Robbie on. We've come a long way, but we're not too sure where we've been. We've had success, we've had good joys, but remember this, being on this path of life for so long, feel I've walked a thousand miles, sometimes strolled hand in hand with love, everybody's been there. With danger on my mind, I would stay on the line of hope. And I knew I could make it. Once I knew the boundaries, I looked into the clouds and I saw my face in the moonlight. Just then I realized what a fool I could be. Just cause I look so high, I don't have to see me Finding a paradise wasn't easy, but still There's a road going down the other side of this hill Never forget where you're coming from Never pretend that it's so real Someday Soon this will all be someone else's dream This will be someone else's dream Being from the arms of disappointment for so long Feel each day we've come too far Yet each day seems to make much more Sure is good to be here Yes it is! Stand the meaning and I can't explain this feeling now And it feels so unreal Night I see the hand that reminds me of the standard I make The fact of reality Never forget where you're coming from Never pretend that it's so real someday soon this will all be someone else's dream this will be someone else's dream never and we've reached so high and we've looked each day and night in the eye and we're still so young. Yes, we are. And we hope for more. But remember this. Remember, guys, we're not invincible. No, we're not invincible. No, we're only people. We're only people. Sing it, Robbie. We're not invincible. Yeah, we're not invincible. Yeah. So again, guys, I tell you. Never forget where you come here from. Just don't. And never pretend 
that it's all real. Because someday, soon, this will all be someone else's dream. What's your dream? What you want to do? Go for it. Go for it. Yes.